Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message, it was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear, please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 629. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Wipe everything I said about Picard. Wipe it. It's gone again. It's gone again. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm up and down with that thing. <laughs> just like I get so excited about it, and then I'm just disappointed. What a drag that last one was. But the good news is Westworld started, and I love it where I'm guessing, and I'm guessing what's going on all the time now. So we're all right. Things are okay. We're okay. Westworld's back on, and I do like that kind of universe as well. It's lovely. But I will tell you what is the main fiction today. It is I'm Not Robot by A.T. Sear. This story first appeared in Bewildering Stories in July 2017. So that is all coming to your show. I do hope you'll stick around and enjoy it. So we are in... As they say, unprecedented times, scary times indeed. Really scary, to be honest. So I just, you know, if everyone's kind of listening, we're all going through it, so we've just got to kind of hang in there and get through this strange, strange time. Bah, man, it's just bizarre, but, you know, my thoughts go out to everybody and, you know, hopefully the love of this world can kind of get us through this, this strange time indeed. So, if we're stuck in... A little bit of fiction, stick on your headphones and then enjoy this story. Like I say, I'm Not Robot by A.T. Sear. A.T.'s works has previously appeared in Plantaxics magazine, Andromeda Spaceway and Analog Science Fiction and Fact. For a more detailed list of his publications, you can find it at his website there. 
Now, this story is narrated by Will Staggle. Will lives in Tuscan, Arizona with his wife Susan and daughter Violet. He is a creative professional by day, the lead singer and guitarist for a post-punk band called Liquid Centers by Night and is always up for a, a pint at the corner pub. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Not Robert by A.T. Sayre. My hands looked exactly the same. Every line and crack in the skin where my memory told me they should be. The heart line thick and curling up to fade into the ball of my middle fingers. The fate line thin on the left hand non-existent on the right. The long lifeline rolling down the palm like a baseball seam, sectioning off both thumbs completely. And all the other minor folds and cracks, all exactly as they were in my memories. There was even the old scar on the left hand, just below the pinky, from that stupid night back in college, falling down drunk in the gutter. Why had they bothered to keep that, I wondered. These hands, my whole body, made in a lab just a few hours with a bioprinter, and you couldn't tell it apart from anything that came out of a womb. Incredible. Just a few days ago, I was nothing more than a mass of raw material, no more alive than a pile of mud. And they took that and made it into a man. Robert, the doctor said, placing her hand on my shoulder. I looked over at her standing by my bed, the touchpad interface nestled in the crook of her arm. The white connection cord draped loosely out from the inside of her elbow and ran up and behind my ear. I said, how do they feel? Fine. Come on, Robert. Really find out. Touch things. Rub them together. 
We still need to fine-tune the calibration. Honey, please, Julia said. I know you're tired of all this, but it's almost over. Julia sat on the other side of the bed from the doctor. She caressed my knee, though apart from my hands, my nervous system had been disabled for the calibration, and I didn't feel it. Her dark hair was slightly mussed, and her clothes a little wrinkled from the long days here in the hospital. Her brown eyes were red and a bit unfocused. She still tried to look brave, calm, for my benefit, but she couldn't hide her anxiety. Her shoulders were all tense, and her cheeks were stone. She never could hide her emotions well. I ran my thumbs over my fingers, rubbed my hands together back and front. The skin slipped and folded underneath the light pressure of my touch naturally. I could feel the thin hair on the back of both hands bristle when I ran my fingers against it, and all the little ridges in my bumpy and uneven thumbnails. The metal rails on my bed were cold and smooth. I could feel my skin drag against them, and they squeaked faintly as I ran my hands along their length. Near my waist on the left rail, there was a little nick in the surface, no bigger than a pinhead. I circled that tiny little imperfection in the metal with my finger, while I grabbed the edge of my mattress with my other hand and squeezed it. I could feel its stiff plastic edge underneath the soft sheets. Everything felt soft, distant. I experienced and registered all the stimulus from my fingertips, just like any human brain would do for any human hand. But it wasn't quite right. Not quite the way it was in the memories they gave me. My hands felt like they were made of drying clay. I turned to the doctor and lied. I told you, everything is fine. Are you positive? Not even a little something feels off? No tingling sensations? Feeling too cold or too hot? It's really important we get this right now. Once we lock in the settings for your nervous system, it's very difficult to change them without a complete overhaul. I pinched the back of my right hand with my thumb and ring finger. There was a slight twinge of pain, but not much. Not as much as there should be. Used to be. It was dull. I calmly nodded to the doctor. I feel exactly like I always have. She nodded and smiled back warmly. That's good, Robert. I'm very pleased to hear it. Give me a moment to match these levels in your torso and legs. We can use it as a baseline and fine-tune from there. Julia leaned in and kissed me on the forehead. I comforted her by touching her cheek as she nuzzled her face in mine. She whispered in my ear, That's good, honey. You're doing great. The doctor cleared her throat. Mrs. Thompson, I'm sorry, but I need him to lie still and not make contact with anyone while we finalize the rest of his nervous system calibration. She looked up at the doctor still holding me. Please, it will only take a few minutes. I gently removed her hands from me and said, It's okay, honey. Let the doctor work. You look exhausted. Why don't you get a coffee in the cafeteria? She straightened up and smiled at me, her eyes starting to water. She was going to cry again. I'll be right down the hall, she said with a nod. Quickly she turned and left the room. I'm sorry for that, Robert, the doctor said when she had gone, but we need to limit stimuli while we calibrate you. Your neural processors are very sensitive. I understand. She tapped on her pad and started. I could feel a strange electric tingle in my whole body, right down to my earlobes. Intense pins and needles. My left leg nearly jumped out of the bed. Don't worry, Robert. That's normal for a reboot. All the data being brought through your processor can spike your systems. Nothing that falls outside the safety parameters. Everything's going fine. As she continued to work on her pad, I laid back and tried to relax with a deep breath. After she had finished, the doctor agreed to let me visit the little park near the hospital. It was the first time I'd been outside, and it was a nice warm day with a cloudless sky. I had memories of other days just as nice as this one, but this was the first time the sun warmed the skin of this cheek.
the birds sang for these ears. I was content to sit on the park bench with the doctor as Sally stood in line for ice cream with Julia, her mother, down the path. They held hands as the little girl hopped up and down with her five-year-old impatience. Julia leaned down and spoke to her, then gestured over at me on the bench with the doctor. Sally looked at us and waved happily. She seemed fine, but I could tell she knew something had happened. She looked at me a little longer than was usual, as if she was trying to spot anything different in me. What did they tell her, I asked the doctor. Sally. They told her you were hurt, but that you're all right now. She wasn't told any of the details, of course. Your wife thought she's a little too young to understand it properly. That's probably true. She'd only turned five a few weeks ago, March 11th. She had all her friends over for cake and games in the little park down in the township. Thankfully, the weather had obliged, and it was a pleasant spring day. The party was a good memory. I suppose sooner or later we'll have to explain it all to her, I said. There's no rush on that. At least I don't think so. I'm not a psychologist, but I would say she's had enough of a scare about almost losing you, and it can wait a little while. You can ask our staff psychologist for some guidance before your discharge tomorrow if you want. That would probably be a good idea. I nodded and looked off in the distance. A squirrel ran furiously across the open field, chased by a dog that was only half-hearted in its pursuit. After only a hundred yards or so, it gave up, panting as it watched the squirrel make it to the trees. I take it you still have misgivings about me going home, I said. She breathed hard and clenched her jaw as she nodded. I still think it would be good if you could stay a few more days. Just for observation. I know hospital policy says you're cleared to go home after the final calibration, but we're kind of in uncharted territory here. We've never resurrected anyone in your particular situation before. Up till now, our patients have a terminal illness or are wasting away slowly, so we have weeks, even months sometimes, to lay the neural pathways down first before uploading the patient in. But with you, the brain was already dead. No, you never died, Robert. Nobody ever said that. The lake was very cold, so that bought us some time. But I'll be honest, we didn't get as much time as we would have liked. Your old mind started to degrade faster than we anticipated and the neural paths weren't fully formed yet when we had to initiate the upload. If we had waited any longer, we would have lost you. I smirked as I looked back at the dog who sat patiently panting by the tree line, waiting for his play friend. But you didn't. I'm here and everything's working perfectly. You said so yourself. I know, the doctor said. It'd still feel better if we monitored you for just a little bit longer. Is it still not doctor's orders? She shook her head. No. Then I'm still checking out tomorrow. Robert, I've had enough of the hospital. I'm sick of being poked at. Everything's fine. I'm still coming back in a few days for a checkup. If anything happens before then, you'll be the first to know. I heard Sally's giggle as she came running back ahead of Julia, an ice cream in her hand. Daddy, she yelled as she came closer, saw me looking at her. I felt all warm as I heard it. As she crossed from the grass to the lip of the path, she tripped and took a few stumbling steps towards me. Her eyes went wide in surprise as her free hand swung out in front of her, preparing to catch her fall. I shot out to catch her without even thinking about it and steadied her in my arms. No bumps or bruises. Ice cream still intact. Just a little flustered. It's okay, sweetie, I said. I got you. The next day, the doctor insisted on one more checkup before I left. All of my motor functions, my central nervous system, my cerebral processors, my eyes, ears, mouth, and throat. I humored her. Everything was just fine, and even if it wasn't, I wasn't going to tell her. I wanted to get out of there. She was just being a little overprotective of her creation. Me. 
I suppose she had a lot riding on how successful a procedure this was, so her attitude was understandable. She finally did let us go with a promise that if anything whatsoever seemed off, no matter how insignificant, to make sure to call her and tell her about it, no matter what time of day or night it was. We did and finally got out of there and to the car. It was a long drive back home, and the sun was setting near the end. Sally watched the video in the back with her pink headphones on, her feet dancing in the air. Julia drove, hands firmly on the wheel, the radio down low so it wouldn't distract her. I stared at the setting sun through the trees as they flew by the side of the highway. I talked with Dean Anders, Julia said, glancing over at me. Oh? He understands you need time to recuperate, and as there are only a couple of weeks before finals, you could wait till next semester before resuming classes if you want. The rest of your department can handle your class load. I'm sure they're thrilled with that. They were happy to do it, Robert. You know how much they think of you. I said nothing, leaning my head against the window. I know you're worried about what people will think, Robert. It's going to be just fine. Everyone understands you're still you. That's more than I could say myself. I didn't say that to her and kept silent. I wasn't in much of a mood to talk, even though I could tell that was making Julia uneasy. I just wanted to watch the scenery. I didn't even say anything when she passed by the exit for home. Didn't ask where she was going. Which was for the best, because when she took the off-ramp just after it, I realized she was doubling back around to avoid the lakeside road, where the accident had happened. I was a medical marvel. That's what the doctor kept telling me. No one had ever successfully brought someone back into a synthetic body quite like they had with me. Up to now, it took a long time to prepare a synthetic mind and body for human upload. Weeks, if not longer. The body itself is easy. That takes just a few hours in the bioprinter to assemble the tissue around the hard porcelain plastic hybrid frame. They've been doing that for lost limbs or failing organs for years, so it's just a question of scale to print out an entire body. But the brain itself, it was far too complex. You couldn't use a basic physiological template as a base for it like you could for an arm or a kidney. It had to be exact down to the atom. The basic overall patterns of the specific brain of the patient had to be meticulously put down in the new brain processor before the full transfer could begin. Otherwise, the rest of the person's consciousness would have nothing to grab onto and would dissipate. And that took a long time. The doctor told me all this as I recuperated, when she visited me to check this readout or adjust that node. They tried several times before to speed up the process. It never took. I was the first time they had been successful because of some new technique of brain mapping that she had been working on. I couldn't really follow her on that point. Something about time data transfer packets making it possible to upload the mind before the new brain is fully formed. I can remember what it was like from my perspective, though, coming to be in an unfinished mind. It was quite an experience. One moment, I just was. I saw, heard, felt, smelled, but the sensations had nothing to grasp onto to make sense of them. All the memories were there, too, in the background, but they had no semblance, no relation to the world around me or even to each other. I did not have an understanding of what they even were. Everything was a chaotic mess. I didn't even have enough of a mind to feel panic or fear at all of it. It was just who I was, what I was, a slab of random sensation. I can't pinpoint the moment when things started to assemble themselves, or even how long it took to happen, but the incomprehensible started to become things I recognized. A table the bed, my own body underneath the blanket, walls, a window, trees outside the window, the various people who came in and out of the room. Then I realized the sounds were related to these things. 
the squeak from a bad wheel on the food tray as it passed by the open door to my room, the soft rustling from the blankets covering me when I shifted. I could move a little, wiggle a foot or a hand, even before I could really understand what they were, that they were mine and I was moving them. More nuance came rapidly. A sense of time. Proper names of things. Words themselves. I started to understand what people were saying to each other and to me as I stared up at them. And I could tell people apart. The doctor, with her short gray hair, was frequently standing over me, her intense blue eyes constantly examining me. The two nurses who took turns checking me the first few days, the young man with the spiky hair and the plump older woman. The dark-haired woman with the piercing eyes. She came often and just stood there looking concerned. She felt more familiar, but I didn't know why. Then I started to understand the memories as what they were. Things that had happened in the past. But all I had were fragments. Just flashes of things. Like pictures or odd sounds I had heard once. Random bits of conversation or songs. It seemed like forever until I was able to piece them together into anything truly coherent. These memories, they were of the man whose name they kept calling me. Robert. His name. My name now. And my memories now, too. Memories of Robert's parents his childhood, school, friends, lovers. The memories of his whole life crept into me, clearing out the gray fog, all the way to the middle-aged man he was. Everything. Even random moments I could not place, vague snippets of otherwise forgotten dreams that had stuck with him over the years. Those were there, too. Everything that had been in his mind when he had died was in mine now, was my memory. That's how I found out that woman with the dark hair who'd visit me so often was my wife. I mean Robert's wife, Julia. I had 15 years of memories of this woman. Memories of meeting in college, walking together late one night, junior year, the first time we made love on her lumpy single bed. Every time I looked at her, I remembered more. A double date with friends, getting married, moving to the house in the woods, arguments over bills, being pregnant. I looked back at that little child in the back seat, totally oblivious to anything other than the small screen she stared at. She absently rubbed her button nose with the back of her hand. She had her mother's chin and ears, but that nose was definitely her father's. Julia had been quietly perturbed at that at her birth. She thought it looked a little awkward on her. I thought it looked fine. I hadn't seen Sally at all during the first few days. Julia didn't want to upset her with the way I was acting while my brain assembled itself. Not that I would have even known who she was. The memories of her took longer to come together, perhaps because they were more recent. I was already able to talk and move my head around before I even knew to ask about her. Julia eventually did bring her in to see me. It had been a few days by then, and she didn't think she could keep putting off her daughter any more by telling her I was sleeping. I couldn't move much, and my speech was still a little slow, so all I could do was lay there when she came running into the room and wrapped her arms around me. "'Are you all better, Daddy?' Almost. Are you coming home now? Not yet. I have to get all the way better first. When? Soon, sweetie. Promise? Promise. She squeezed my waist even tighter, resting her head on my chest, looking up at me. I missed you so much. I... I missed you too. I knew this little girl so well, had memories of almost every day of her life and her arms around my middle and those blue eyes so like mine filled me with such happiness. I did miss her. I really did. Even though this was the first time these eyes had seen her, 
These ears heard her voice. These hands touched her hair. All of it was new, yet familiar. It was very confusing, feeling both at the same time. But I hid it, or at least tried to, and hugged Sally back, smiling as I pulled her in closer. Julia pulled in under the porch of the house just after the sun had set. The rustic two-story house on the side of the hill, with wall-to-ceiling windows on the second floor, looking out onto the valley and lake beyond. Julia unstrapped Sally from her booster seat as I stood and watched. I'm hungry, Sally said. When are we having supper? Julia pinched her cheek. Soon, sweetie. What do you want? Spaghetti, she replied, nodding her head with certainty. I don't know about that, Julia said. Maybe we should have something your father would like. Sally looked over at me. Daddy likes spaghetti. Julia lifted her out of the seat and placed her on the ground at her feet, leaning down to face. Well, sure, everybody likes spaghetti, she said to her daughter. But maybe he would want something else that he likes more, like risotto. Sally crossed her arms. I don't like mushrooms. There's mushrooms in spaghetti. No, there isn't. Julia nodded. They're really tiny, like you, and we don't have to use mushrooms in risotto. That's just the way we make it. Sally did not seem convinced, furrowing her brow. I'm fine with spaghetti, I said. Julia straightened up and looked at me. Are you sure? Yes, spaghetti sounds great. Sally bolted for the house. I get to stir the sauce. Julia walked beside me after her, taking my hand in hers. Robert, are you sure it's all right? Shouldn't you have something, maybe lighter? It's not a problem. It's already late and won't take too long, I said. Besides, you said everybody likes spaghetti. Julia nodded and rested her head on my shoulder as we walked into the house after Sally, who I could hear was already up the stairs and in the kitchen, looking through the pots and pans. Sally fell asleep right after eating while Julia and I started to clear the table. She took her upstairs to bed while I rinsed and put everything in the dishwasher. I started it and walked into the living room. I left the lights out because I could see well enough in the room with the light from the kitchen. The sun was well down now, and little specks of light littered the dark around the lake a half mile away, as our neighbors in the township settled down for a quiet evening. The lake itself was just a patch of black, with spots of light roughly outlining most of its shape. Across the far end, some of the dim lights moved. Headlights from cars driving the road along its shore. I focused on one and followed it. When it passed under the streetlights, I could almost see the car itself. A hatchback of some kind, I think. Its lights twinkled at me as it turned at the bend and disappeared behind the trees. It was around that slight bend in the road, just before it whipped up and away from the edge of the lake, where the accident happened. Julia could have seen it from here if she had been awake. She could have watched Robert die. He had been so close to home. Julia came into the room and wrapped her arms around me from behind, resting her head on my shoulder. She didn't even wake up when I changed her into her jammies, she said quietly in my ear. It's been a long day. I turned my head and kissed her on the temple. A good one? Yes, of course. It's just you've been very quiet all day. That's not like you. I laughed a little. Well... She let go of me and walked a few steps away. Don't, Robert. Please. I turned to look at her. She stood looking absently into the light in the kitchen, her arms crossed, her hands rubbing her shoulders as if she felt a chill. Julia, I didn't mean anything. I know. I walked over and embraced her. I'm sorry, I said. That was a bad joke. After a moment, she turned and hugged me back. It's all right. 
She said, you've always been morbid. I should be used to it by now. I breathed a little easier and smiled. You're right. You should, I replied. She laughed and buried her head in my chest, squeezing me as tight as she could. I almost lost you. And I'm still afraid something might go wrong. So no more jokes about it for a little while, okay? I rubbed the base of her neck softly. Consider it taboo. She was silent for a long moment and then said, I look at you and I keep forgetting. You look exactly like you did when you left that morning. She breathed in deep. You even smell the same as you used to. But then I remember and I worry that something will still happen, that your new body will fall apart, that you'll misfire. I walked into this room just now, afraid I'd find you in a heap on the floor. I rubbed her back gently. You don't have to worry, honey. I am perfectly fine. Nothing at all wrong. I'll go in for checkups regularly, and if anything happens between them, the doctor's just a phone call away. But everything feels fine, just the way I have always been. Everything's going to be okay. She looked up at me, and I could see the mist in her eyes. Promise? I kissed her, deeply, and without a word, led her up to bed. Julia always slept peacefully after making love. Even more tonight. The familiar way I held her, touched her, knew how to make her feel good in those secret ways only her husband, someone who had known her for years, could. It put her mind at ease and shoved the doubts she had had about me further into the back of her mind. Afterward, we held each other in the dark, not speaking a word, running our fingers along each other affectionately. I felt her breathing against me slow down. Soon she rolled up into a little ball and drifted off, smiling happy thoughts to herself. I quietly got out of bed and went for a glass of water. I stopped at the window in the living room to drink it. There were barely any lights on at all around the lake, but the moon was full and high tonight. It bathed the world out there soft blue. A lone car was passing by that same bend in the road across the lake, the one where Robert had died. The memories were so clear from that night. I can remember driving along quietly, the radio off. It had been a full day at the university, followed by dinner with a few colleagues, and all Robert wanted was to be home in his bed. There was no moon and thick clouds above, so the world outside the little strip of road illuminated by the streetlights looked like an utter void. On nights like those, you coast along so smoothly it can lull you into laziness, make you groggy, or put you to sleep even if you're not particularly tired. Which is what I remember, things getting fuzzy, coasting a bit, not quite over the line, but off the dead center of the lane, blinking hard and rubbing his face, nodding off for a brief moment here and there, and shaking himself back. He should have blasted the radio, or opened the window to let the cold spring air in. But he was almost home, just a few more miles. He was convinced he could make it. It seemed like just an instant between cruising along blissfully and tumbling in the air and into the water. The patch of ice had timed exactly with a long blink, and when Robert snapped back awake, he instinctively jerked the wheel against the swerve with too much force in a panic. The car fishtailed, first to the left, then jerked with squealing tires sharply to the right. The car skipped just a few inches sideways along the road at first. Even then he still thought he had managed the save right up to the moment when the passenger side wheels lifted off the ground. All inside the car was chaos for a few moments. The memories are confusing, and I can't make full sense of them. A pen hitting him in the cheek, 
loose change rattling around, being buried in the airbag. But mostly the memories are a dazed sense of floating, and then a jarring smash into the water. He must have blacked out for a few minutes, because the next memory I have of that night was the screaming pain of cold water. It was up to his chest, and he was shivering uncontrollably. It was pitch black in the cab, but he knew he must be completely submerged already. Frantically, he tried to free himself, moved to the back of the car, but his seatbelt was still strapped, and he couldn't get out of the driver's seat. He couldn't feel his hands at all. He tried punching at the windows, but his arms were too stiff from cold to put anything into it. Screaming just echoed around the cab uselessly, and then his head was under the water. He actually fought against the impulse to struggle as he drowned. I remember that very clearly. He knew he was going to die. There was nothing he could do. And he didn't want his life to end panicking. He distracted himself by trying to figure out which direction his home was, where Julia and Sally slept. The car had been pointing towards them across the lake when the skid started, so with the roll, he thought it was probably off to the left. He turned and looked that way in the black, as if he could see anything, imagined his wife and daughter fast asleep in their beds, felt guilty for the news they were going to receive. But he managed to stay calm. He didn't feel the cold anymore, didn't feel much of anything at the end. It didn't hurt at all. Those last few moments of memory I have before everything ended stretched on forever and were very peaceful. He was okay with everything, not mad or scared or even sad. It was all right dying. He was all right with it. The last memory was of blissfully floating. And then everything ended. Robert died. And a few hours later, I came to be. I looked down at my hand holding the glass. I had been absently tapping my fingers against the side of it. First finger, ring, middle, and pinky in successive order. That was something Robert would do all the time when he was thinking. An idle habit. Always had to be doing something with his hands without even realizing it. I slammed the glass down on the nearby table and shook my hand in the air. The table Julia picked out at the antique store in town years ago. I could remember telling her how garish I thought the ornate bit of mahogany it was. Robert thought it was. All around this room, the furniture, the little knickknacks on the end tables, the prints on the wall, I had memories about all of them, knew where each had come from. The coffee table from that same antique store, the couch on line, the tall floor lamp in the corner, a housewarming gift from her parents. The carpet was from the old place in the city near the university that Robert insisted on keeping around. Even with the faded edges and the little circular burn mark from a dropped joint the second year of graduate school. I had memories of everything in this room, everything in this house, this whole life. But they were not my memories, damn it. The Roberts, his memories, his life. I never married this woman, lived in this house, filled it with my trinkets, had a child. That was all him, and he's ashes now. They filled me with all the memories of that dead man, with his life. Even the private secret thoughts he never shared with anyone, I have those too. They create me, make me look exactly like him, sound exactly like him, give me all his memories and habits, his mind down to the atom. So I'll do the things he did, say the things he did, share his opinions and values. For all anyone can tell, I am him, 
in every way they can perceive. But I'm not Robert. I was nothing more than raw materials just days ago, when Robert kissed Julia goodbye on the way to the university and went about his day, till he floated off to nothingness in his submerged car just over the other side of the lake. I wouldn't exist at all if he hadn't crashed, if they hadn't wanted to fill the void he left with me, a mock-up of microcircuitry and biogenetic tissue to upload him into. Transferring consciousness. How the hell can you transfer something you can't find? Where is it? The frontal lobe? The cortex? Is it buried deep in the lizard brain underneath? Is it my aura? My soul? Or can you just nip off a few select folds of brain behind the right ear and hook it up to electrodes in a box? I'm not Robert. Robert died. I remember it. I know what the doctor said, but she lied. Maybe even to herself. Call it what you will. Consciousness? The soul? Just an innate sense of being? It doesn't matter. You can't just transfer it from one thing to another. Robert died, and they used his neural pattern to make mine, thinking that was the same as bringing him back. From their point of view, I suppose it is. But it's not for me. My consciousness is mine, not his. I may look like him, think like him, have his memories. You can recreate every single neural pathway of his mind down to the quantum level if you want, and create something like me that is impossible to tell from the original. But I'm still not him. I'm something else, someone else completely. I'm not just a behavioral program that gives familiar responses based on some complex algorithm. I'm alive, aware, real. And I can't even tell them. Not Julia, not the doctor, not anyone. I mentioned even a word of this, and they'd say I was malfunctioning. Suddenly not their loved one or friend anymore, but a broken appliance. And they'd scrap me as another failure. Or maybe they'd try to fix me. I don't want to think of how that could possibly work. No, I can never tell them. Can't betray myself for even a single moment. For them, Julia, Sally, the rest of the world, it's perfect. Look as closely as you want. Ask me anything. You'd never be able to know I wasn't him. And that is all they need, for me to be their Robert. It's what I was made for. And I can do it flawlessly, without even trying. But I will always know I'm not him, and I can never escape the cruelty of it. They created a life in me, then shackled it to a ghost. I heard muffled whimpers coming from Sally's room. I knew they wouldn't be loud enough to wake Julia. I walked down the hallway to her room and opened the door. I could see from the glow from her nightlight that Sally was awake and crying softly into her pillow. I entered the room and sat on the bed next to her, resting my arm on her side. Sweetie, I whispered, what is it? What's wrong? Sally rolled over to face me and looked up at me with her swollen red eyes. I had a bad dream, she moaned. I was playing in the park, then I fell down and I hurt my knee, and I couldn't find you or Mommy. You left me all alone. Her body racked with sniffles, and I could see the glisten of sweat on her brow. I pushed the hair out of her face with a finger. Oh, Sally, we would never do that to you. Yes, you did. You left me all alone, and I was so scared. Sally sat up in bed and wrapped her arms around me, crying into my shoulder. It made my heart break. 
I could feel the tears welling up in my eyes. I hugged her tight and rubbed her tiny back as I took in her sobs. It's okay, sweetie. It's okay. I'm here. Daddy's right here. And he's never going to leave you. Ever. You promise? I promise. And I meant it. And there you go. Well, there you go. I am not Ruba. What a fantastic story. AT, say thank you so much indeed. And Will, lovely. Lovely to have your voice on, on Starship Sova. Thank you indeed. So that is Starship Sova. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I say, just a little bit of escapism to get you through these strange times. Do think about subscribing and, you know, donating to the show. That would be fantastic via Patreon. Until next week, just let's say good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Time soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here. Best I move slow, so I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go. Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.